E A L. Responsible eating, responsible eating, responsible eating and living. Hello, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to Ask a Vegan. It's the 16th of December, 2012. Good evening. I hope you're doing well. Last week, I did not do a program, and I apologize for that. I really, really wanted to do the show. I was really excited about sharing this experience I had just witnessed. I had been to the very first PCRM Leadership Conference. That's the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine in Washington, D.C., and it took place all of Friday and most of Saturday And uh, by the time I got back, I was so exhausted. So I decided I'd wait till this week, get some rest. I don't know that I've really gotten a lot of rest because there's so many things going on. But here I am a week later and I'm ready to share with you all the things that I learned and experienced during that weekend. You know, there's nothing better than being with people who share your philosophy, share your goals and dreams and and can appreciate the things that you appreciate. I know that for many people who are becoming vegan or interested in veganism, they really feel alone. There are certain areas all around the world where you really might be the only one who is choosing not to eat animals. And it can can be a very lonely experience. Unfortunately, we have the internet, and there's a lot of communities going on here in cyberspace, and it can really help. But there really, nothing can take the place of face-to-face interaction with like-minded people who are all on the path to to do the same things that you you want to do, especially when it comes to eliminating cruelty to animals, improving the environment, helping people's health through promoting a plant-based diet. So that was one of the great things about this particular event. And another thing was it took place in a hotel and all the meals were vegan, so we had breakfast, lunch, dinner on Friday, and breakfast, lunch on Saturday, and uh, it's always a little, mm, what what should I say, when you go to a public place and you're, and everything is vegan, it's, you're never quite sure because you want to Say, you want to ask what's in this and what's in that, but then you catch yourself because you know you don't have to. That's all been taken care of. There's something really special about that. You know, most people, when they go to a buffet or something, they don't think about anything that's in their food. And, and when you're thinking all the time about what's in your food, when you have a moment and you don't have to, it's really quite amusing, but also very special. I met so many great people at this event who are working at the grassroots level, and that's really where change happens. I heard so many compelling stories 
But the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, they've been around for uh, over 25 years, and they're doing some really great work. They originally started with Dr. Neil Barnard, the founder, working to get animal abuse or animal use out of universities, medical schools, because medical schools used to use animals primarily to train future doctors. And more and more, thanks to the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, most universities today use human simulation models. You know, you've probably seen those those resuscitator Annie, these these uh, human dummies that are used to practice on to learn certain techniques. Well, there are many, many sophisticated human models now that actually breathe, that can bleed, have a pulse, and they're much more useful for future doctors, surgeons to train on because they get to feel where certain things are in the human body. Whereas before, in medical schools, the students would train on dogs and other animals. They may have become great experts on those animals, but not really on humans. And the results, of course, have shown that the students that have been trained on these simulator models are much better doctors. So this is all great. There's only a few schools left that are still using animals for training, unfortunately. But that's going that's going to go away. So we can go, yay, we've made some improvements, we've made some headway. And I think that will help future doctors too when they realize the changes that have been made. I think it can really numb their feelings towards, oh, it's just so complicated, towards um, compassion, I'm, I'm at a loss for words here, what I'm trying to say, so I'm just going to skip that, and uh, then there were so many things that were covered during this event, we talked about all the accomplishments that this particular organization has made over the years and recently and the things that they're planning on doing. It was so inspiring. I'm going to use that word over and over again because I left that place just so inspired and full of hope. It's really incredible though. I've decided to make my work and my focus about helping people eat plants instead of animals. And personally, I believe that when you realize you don't need to eat animals to live, it opens a door and you realize that you don't need to exploit animals for anything, for clothing, and then subsequently for animal experimentation. All of a sudden you realize that animals feel pain and they have all kinds of feelings and emotions and then you realize you don't want to abuse them and exploit them and use them. And and then hopefully 
that connects to all life on earth. So other people you don't want to exploit or hurt other people and you don't want to exploit and hurt the earth, period. All of these things are connected and when you make that leap to eliminating animals from your diet, I believe it opens the door to realizing our connectivity to all life on earth. So that's been my path. And plus, so many animals are abused and exploited. The numbers are so overwhelming. Some 60 billion land animals are used for food, and that doesn't even include the sea animals. And a much smaller percentage are used for experimentation. So I feel that when people realize they don't need to eat animals, I think they will be more open to reducing or eliminating animal experimentation. And when you focus solely on animal experimentation, I don't know if people make the connection that they shouldn't be eating these animals as well. But meanwhile, there's a lot of animal experimentation going around and it's been shown that many of these experiments, I'm not going to say all, but many of these experiments really don't lead to anything. To start with, when you're comparing chemical toxicity, for example, or the performance of a new drug on an animal that isn't human, on mice or rats or monkeys, the response is not going to be the same in humans. You may get some results that are positive or negative. You may get some results that a certain amount of chemical is is sufficient or you can determine a, a limit that's toxic or not toxic of a certain chemical exposure for an, for an animal that isn't human, but it may not correlate to the reaction humans are going to have. And all of this money is put into testing things on animals that don't necessarily correlate to humans. During this particular leadership conference, they shared with us numerous different experiments, primarily on primates, chimps, monkeys, that were horrifying. And it made me believe that sadists were doing these experiments. These were not, these could not possibly have been people that were emotionally stable. And they were able to get grants from the government and other foundations to support their sadistic work. And it's taken a tremendous amount of time and effort and money, resources, for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine to be able to get the documents from a particular university, very often through the Freedom of Information Act, and a lot of time and stress and trouble because the universities don't want to give up this information because I think they know that when it's exposed, it's not going to look very good. And they've ultimately been able to shut down a number of, of labs that, are, that have been doing horrible, horrible work. Uh, they showed some pictures. I didn't really want to look 
at them and some of them I just couldn't because just imagining some of these things, it's just crazy. And you've probably heard of some of these experiments. Um, one comes to mind is studying addiction, drug addiction, cigarette addiction, alcohol addiction. They'll take different animals and test and, and make them drunk, let's say, make dogs drunk or chimps drunk. And these animals don't have an alcohol addiction problem. We do. They don't. And trying to learn from their reaction to an addiction is so out there. I know I'm not even a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but most addictions are related to some sort of behavioral issue, some sort of emotional issue. You can't test animals to solve those kind of problems, and yet they get significant amounts of funding to support horrible, horrible tests. And at this weekend, we learned that they were able to shut down a number of different labs and they're working on more. And this was really inspiring to know that really some headway has, has been made. And another thing that I learned, I think, you know, I want to give our, our Congress people a break. <laughs> we are so frustrated with them and with these two parties that can't seem to agree on anything. But I think to some degree, they just don't have all the information they need on particular issues. There are so many things going on in this country alone, in the United States. You can't possibly know everything about everything. And, um, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is trying to educate people in government, people that are responsible for making regulations. For example, there's there's a number of different tests, like things that can be done in in a petri dish, things that can be done on human skin cells to test personal care products without having to use rabbits and put things in their eyes or cats and expose things to their bare skin to see what kind of effect they have. They'll shave them and put different creams and lotions on their skin. And I can't even describe some of the crazy tests that they do, but they do them because they're required to in some instances. And the regulators are just not informed enough on the latest technology. This is something that the P that PCRM is doing. And so I put that to you. Just think about whatever it is that you're learning and think about the people around you. Do they know some of the discoveries that you've made? Now, of course, some people don't want to don't want to know. <laughs> But I think we all have an obligation to to share the things that we've found to be profound.
that will make a difference and help health, planet, cruelty. It, it can be really overwhelming sometimes. But we're all in this together. And we all have to make a difference and we all have a job to do. They talked about... Oh, there were just so many crazy, crazy studies uh, testing obesity in mice. And there were these pictures of these really overweight mice. And they were testing... Um, different dietary habits once they've cloned mice that uh, have a certain gene turned off so that they they don't have the ability to stop eating, to feel sated. Oh, and they did all these crazy experiments. Okay. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes to see. We talked about so many different things. There were so many great people at this event. There were a number of doctors that have decided to take the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine program called Food for Life, and it's a program where they train you to be an instructor, and you can teach other people about a healthy plant-based diet. And there were a couple of doctors, I was so excited about this, that are including it in their own, in their own programs with their patients. So they're treating their patients, but they're also helping their patients learn about nutrition. And unfortunately, this is what some doctors have to do on an individual basis. But I would like to see at some point that this become the norm where, where health is associated with nutrition and it becomes a part of the treatment or Imagine if doctors were somehow credited with keeping their patients well. I've heard that in some places in other countries it works that way where doctors are paid better or given bonuses when their patients are healthy. Because right now it's the reverse. Doctors make more money by treating patients who aren't well. If we could integrate somehow these programs to teach people to stay well and then doctors can benefit from that, well then they'd have more incentive to keeping you well. Seems simple to me, doesn't it? Well, Anyway, it was really inspiring. I met a lot of wonderful people, and uh, I plan on inviting a number of the people that gave talks onto my It's All About Food show on Tuesday. So I hope you look forward to that. I know I'm looking forward to that. Now, meanwhile, the holidays are coming. Holiday, big stress time, right? So I'm thinking vegan for the holidays. I'm going vegan for the holidays because I am vegan for the holidays. But maybe maybe this could be a time to decide to be vegan for the holidays. PCRM has a 21-day kickstart program. I'm not sure when the next one starts, but that's a one way to get started. 
and they offer lots of information during this period if you sign up you can just go to their website pcrm.org and it's all free and uh, sometimes you just need a kick in the butt to make a change and even if you already become vegan if you're a new vegan you might want to take it anyway and just uh, see what you learn uh, there are other programs out there different people have put together packages to go vegan in 30 days in two months for 10 days whatever time period it takes it's uh, as soon as you make a decision to eliminate certain foods from your diet that's when the fun begins because you don't realize what you've been eating until you decide you're not going to eat it and then you're paying attention and you can learn a lot during that time I'm not saying it's going to be easy but paying attention is is really an amazing thing <laughs> but you know it's like uh, you don't notice pregnant women unless you're pregnant yourself and then all of a sudden you start to see more of them or maybe you just bought a blue car and then all of a sudden you see all these other blue cars you can bring into focus whatever it is you want I think we as humans are the way our brain works is we cannot take in everything that we see in front of us and our subconscious chooses what's important or not important for us to remember and if there are things that we really want to focus on we have to make an effort to do that so I'm saying vegan for the holidays maybe you might challenge some of your family or friend members to do it and this is a particularly challenging time because this is when there are lots of treats this is when we have lots of family members and gatherings that we go to and uh, people may not be accommodating to what we want to eat so I wish you all well I wish you as stressless a holiday as possible we just had a holiday party last night and the the menu was amazing now at some point we'll put most of these recipes up at the responsibilityandliving.com website some of them are already there and, and some of them are not but this was an amazing evening and my partner Gary did most of the cooking he was the chef and I I was the pastry chef but uh, let me just read to you this dinner that we made so we started with a, an antipasti we did, it was it was all Italian it was an Italian theme so the antipasti or in English the appetizer uh, Gary came up with this sashimi like dish using hearts of palm tossed with seaweed salad have you seen seaweed salad in the Japanese restaurant it can be kind of intense sometimes but just using a little of it and tossing it with the hearts of palm was really phenomenal and uh, I made a big kale salad and it was amusing because I was explaining to all of my guests how to prepare kale salad now this kale salad had golden roasted beets and 
cranberry butter and I made a tahini tofu sour cream dressing. Uh, but the key is, and I've mentioned this before, when you make kale salad, you rip the leaves off the stem. And then if you take the long leaves and roll them up and slice the roll, it's like a cigar almost, and you slice it, then you make these long threads of kale leaves. It's called chiffonade. And uh, I have an It's All About Greens show on ResponsibleEatingAndLiving.com, and you can see how I cut the kale. But once you've got all the kale cut, you put it in a big bowl and add your dressing. And then with your hands, you massage the kale. And it's amazing. It very quickly reduces down in size and really softens up. And a number of my guests were saying, you're sure this kale wasn't cooked? But uh, we all had kind of fun talking about massaging the kale. But it's something that most people don't know, and it's a very simple thing. And kale is such an important food to eat. So don't be afraid of getting your hands into the kale. Have a good time with it. And then the next dish, which was amazing, was a saffron vegetable broth. And Gary made a risotto, and he made little balls from the risotto and put a ball in the soup. It was his own clever creation and so simple but complicated. (laughs) Well, complicated because risotto takes some time to make and uh, the, the broth too was two separate steps that he put together, but such a lovely, lovely dish. Then we had the butternut squash lasagna with Brussels sprouts, tempeh bacon, and acorn squash cream. Is your mouth watering? I talked about this recipe a while ago, and that recipe is on the ResponsibleEatingAndLiving.com website, and it is spectacular. Now, the next dish was really fun. So Gary got this idea when I had interviewed Roberto Martin on It's All About Food. He's the personal chef for Ellen DeGeneres. And the one recipe in his book that really popped out to me was this fried chicken recipe. It was vegan, of course, and it was something that he made for Oprah Winfrey when she came to visit because Oprah said that she can't go vegan because she has to have her fried chicken. So he thought Roberto Martin would make a vegan version of fried chicken. And what he did was he took this meat analog product called Gardein. Maybe you've seen it in the stores. It's made from wheat gluten and pea protein and soy protein, I think. It's an interesting product and they're doing a lot of fun things with it. And he used it by taking rice paper. And I don't know if you've ever worked with rice paper, but you might have seen it when you're in a Vietnamese restaurant, for example, and they have those soft rolls, the spring rolls with the soft white wrapper. That's rice paper. It's really a lovely little food product because you can do wonderful things with it. I love making spring rolls, 
But what he did was he wrapped the gardein in this rice paper and it made like a skin that he ultimately deep fried and made a vegan version of fried chicken. Well, Gary took that idea and he marinated tempeh and then wrapped the tempeh in the rice paper skin and breaded it and uh, cooked that up. And it was such a wonderful, wonderful dish. It was sort of like a take on uh, salmon on croute. But of course, it was not fish. It was tempeh and very, very good. And then he had shown me this traditional Italian cookbook and he said, I would really like it if you could make this recipe. And he pointed to the crostata di ricotta, which is an old style cheesecake. And I had never seen it before, but I was amused by it because I realized right away that this kind of cheesecake probably came about a long time ago when they didn't have springform pans. Now, if you've used a springform pan, it's something where the sides of the pan come off. And this way, you can make a variety of different desserts that are somewhat soft and fragile on the side, unlike a, a cake layer, which you can make in a cake pan and then it comes out when it's done. Um, some cheesecakes really uh, don't do well that way because they're soft. But in this rustic old Italian recipe, they use a, a pretty hearty crust that isn't just on the bottom, it's on the sides. And that way, you can remove the entire cheesecake from the pan without using one of these fancy modern-day springform pans. Now, I wanted to do this gluten-free, so I had to come up with a pastry dough that would be gluten-free. And then the filling is typically a milk ricotta, and I've been making almond ricotta lately, which is so simple. It's just soaked almonds, blended, and... Uh, I add in a little almond yogurt or soy yogurt to it, and voila, you have almond ricotta, and it's really lovely. And I used that as my cheese filling, and it was phenomenal. So excited, and I don't think anybody would really know. And what I loved about it was I didn't use any soy. You know, so many of the vegan cheesecakes today are made from... Uh, like to tofuti vegan cream cheese or some other brand of vegan cream cheese. And there's a lot of industrial products, isolated soy proteins and mono and diglycerides. What I loved about this cheesecake was the filling was really just almonds and a little almond yogurt, which I make, which is just almonds. <laughs> So it was really made from whole natural foods, which I found really exciting, and the taste was exceptional. And we finished it off by 
offering some all-vegan biodynamic wines from Corcebella, which is a winery in Tuscany, and they make vegan biodynamic wines there. Really quite lovely. It was a very special occasion, and we deserved to have this lovely vegan biodynamic delicious wine to go with the food. I made some breadsticks, I made some rosemary bread and olive bread, and all of it was gluten-free, and I just may put those recipes on the website. I have not done that yet. Too much going on. It's the end of the year. There's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of celebrating. There's a lot of work to get done. And I I just never seem to have enough time. And lately, that means I'm not sleeping as long as I like. And I just want to let you know I'm not happy about that and remind you to get your rest. You know, if you're feeling tired and you're wondering what it is you need to eat or drink, just remember you may need just simply to sleep. Sleep is so important and I'm not happy with myself when I don't get enough. It's, you know, sometimes we really can't because there are things that are out of control. You may have young children, very high stress job, whatever it is, but really you deserve to get rest. And sometimes if you have a health issue, something, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger if you don't address it. And sleep is just like water. Water and sleep are so essential to health. One of the things that I learned at this PCRM weekend, Dr. Neil Barnard is, is writing a book on diabetes. Oh no, he's writing a book on Alzheimer's. And one of the things that he talked about, I'm looking for my notes. Oh yeah, he was talking about amyloid plaque, and this is something that can result in high cholesterol, and amyloid production falls during sleep, and if you're not sleeping as well, then this plaque builds up. It doesn't get to be um, absorbed and accommodated by the body. It will build up and form plaque. So in addition to skipping the bad fats and eating the right foods so you don't have all these free radicals roaming around, you need to get rest. Exercise your brain by doing good intellectual things, and then resting. So important. That's it for today. I want to thank you for joining me on Ask a Vegan. Please send me your comments and questions. I love to hear from you. 
Let me know what you're doing for the holidays, any special foods or treats you're making or have been treated to. And have a very happy holiday season. I'll probably be back next week. And have a great one. R-E-A-L Responsible eating, responsible eating, responsible eating and living. R-E-A-L, reels, good for the planet, the inhabitants who need sound advice on the right thing to do. When it comes to good health, we need bad or true. To choose what to eat and save the planet too. As responsible eating and living. Oh, you'll find the real tools for you. Real.